Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's innovative hidden screen folds away when closed, keeping it clean while bringing in a ton more sun. Choose 0% financing for 72 months or a free upgrade to the hidden screen on our 250 series. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. A lot of ground to cover between now and 3 o'clock. We're going to talk about some serious stuff. And then, as we traditionally do, we're going to get a little bit lighter as the program goes on. I've got some fun things I want to discuss with you as well. As we go into the weekend, as I mentioned earlier, that the big local news is Don Smiley, who has been the president and CEO of Milwaukee World Festival Summerfest for, well, I think about like 18, 19 years now. He's announced that he is retiring not after this festival, but after the 2023 year. And his successor has already been named. And uh, she and I go back just a long time. And so I, I think Summerfest is in very good hands. But we're scheduled to talk to Don a little bit after one o'clock and ask him, you know, why now and maybe get him to look back on some of the accomplishments and some of the things that have happened at the world's greatest music festival over the course of the last 20 years that he is perhaps most proud of. So that's coming up a little bit after the one o'clock news. Well, yesterday was one of those examples of why live sports are so fun and so interesting. It's Whenever you turn on the radio or the television to watch a basketball game or a football game or a baseball game or whenever you go in person to one of those sporting events, one of the things that you is that you just never know what is going to happen. So last night at the Wagner household, we had um, some very, very close friends of ours, Maggie and Dale. They were celebrating their 49th wedding anniversary. They were both child brides and grooms. And so we had them over for a cookout with a couple of our other friends, Colleen and John and Mary. And so we, we you know, have hamburgers and salads and stuff on on our deck and then we all go in and we settle in and we're watching the baseball game because all of the folks who were over yesterday are huge baseball fans and we're watching the game and we're watching the game and the brewers it was kind of a a dull game um they were behind uh four to one and it didn't look like they were doing very much and it was getting a little bit later and a lot of us had to work the next day so sometime around the eighth inning Everybody kind of decides, okay, it's it's time to to head home. Our friends live in Menominee Falls or West Bend or wherever. And so they decide to head home. So the party kind of breaks up, oh, around... I don't know, around the, the eighth inning, like I say, and everybody goes, and I'm I'm just sort of sitting there, and I'm going to watch the end of the ball game before I go do whatever I'm, I'm going to do. So I'm sitting there, and yeah, the, the eighth inning comes along, and the Brewers don't do much of anything, and the ninth inning comes along, and San Diego doesn't score. And then, so it's four to one, bottom of the ninth inning. They really haven't done much a- at all, and so you're just kind of figuring, well, I'll just kind of watch this out of the sense of completeness. And then all of a sudden, you get a single to right field. You get a hit batter. You get another hit batter. And then you get uh, Jace Peterson, who comes up and rockets a, a triple off the outfield wall. And all of a sudden, you know, a game where the Brewers' offense has done absolutely nothing. Now they're facing arguably the second or third best closer in the National League. And all of a sudden, they've scored three runs like that. And you've got uh, the potential winning run on fr- on third base. Then, you know, Andrew McCutcheon comes up. Andrew McCutcheon was 0 for 32 
I could go 0 for 32. He's 0 for 32, and he lines a ball through a drawn-in infield for the game-winning hit. The Brewers win 5-4, to four. No, not a single out secured in the ninth inning. It was just... And look, and I understand it was just like one game in a 162-game season on a, on a Thursday night, but you know it snapped a two-game losing streak, and it just it was just a huge win. But more importantly, it was just an incredibly entertaining game to watch, and it's one of the reasons again why I think so many of us are attracted to live sports because there's always that potential. Every time you turn on the radio to listen to the game, every time you turn on the television, every time you go to the game, you never know when you might see that. that that's something special that in baseball, the no hitter in uh, the, the guy that hits for the cycle or in this case, you know, a four run comeback in the bottom of the ninth inning that I willing to bet nobody saw coming. So it's sort of interesting. All, all our friends who had left before the end of the game, there the phone is ringing and they're calling and they're texting my wife going, huh, guess we all left a little bit too early next time. We don't care how tired Jeff looks. We're all staying till the end of the ball game. And I thought, that's fine. You are very welcome. All right. It is, I think, I would say that we are frustrated, but I do not think the word frustrated really encompasses how most of us feel. As I am driving to work today from my home coming down here, uh, the typical, I would say, the gasoline prices at most of the stations were either $5.07 a gallon or $5.09 a gallon. And there was one station that I saw not too far from where I'm sitting now that had it for four ninety nine, And I was thinking, I've got about a half a tank of gas, but I was thinking, okay, if it's still four ninety nine when I leave the station, I'm going to pull in there and, and fill up just because... Uh, you know, even though I probably only need like six or seven gallons, that's still, you know, a dime is starting to mean something now. So gasoline prices through the roof. We are at an all time high. And a lot of the experts say it, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. There's a lot of reasons for this. Obviously, you've got the disruption of oil, thanks to Mr. Putin and his war in Ukraine. You have the president of the United States, who has pretty much declared war on domestic producers of, of oil, creating every disincentive he possibly could have to you know, produce more domestic oil. And you know, you, you've got the overall inflation that's happening. But we're now talking about north of $5 a gallon, and the prediction is it's probably going to stay that way for a good portion of the summer. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. We are all in this same leaky boat. It affects some of us perhaps more than others. But my guess is this we have way past the point of pain. And I don't care who you are, I don't care what your economic situation is. $5 a gallon in gasoline and for gasoline and, and in my opinion this is something that was in fact avoidable but it, it just it hasn't worked out that way. How how is this impacting you and on a scale of like 1 to 10 how 
frustrated? How angry are you? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, you know, after two years of a pandemic and after two years of being you know, closed in and not being able to go places or, you know, not having places to go, you know, this was the summer where, okay, we're, we're going to finally get past COVID. We're going to be able to start taking road trips and things like that. And now you're looking at over $5 a gallon in gasoline costs. I've been talking recently to a couple of retail business people, and, and they're they're telling me about how their business is, is starting to hurt, not because there's not demands for the product they sell, but because the outrageous gas prices are wearing on people to the point of them saying, well, I, I don't feel comfortable spending on other stuff right now because we, we need we need the fuel. We need to get to those places. And the costs are so absolutely outrageous that we're now having to make certain choices. And, and maybe we're going to delay making this purchase of this or purchase of that or purchase of the other thing because we don't know how bad it's going to get with gas prices. 855-616-1620. How frustrated Mad are you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a minute. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How angry slash frustrated are you? I, I will tell you on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm kind of off the charts about this. I, I don't believe there's any reason gas prices should be this high. And one of the things I am frustrated with, Tony Evers and the Republicans in the legislature in Wisconsin, as we talked about yesterday, there's two things that they could do immediately which would give us a break. First thing, you could declare a moratorium on the state sales tax for gasoline. That's 33 cents a gallon. So, boom, knock 33 cents off right now. Use some of the COVID money, for example, that's sitting around or the budget surplus to supplement that, to do the road work that you need to do. Take that money and spend it on something which would indirectly give us relief. Secondly, as I preach a lot, the minimum markup law in Wisconsin, we have this law that goes back to the depression that requires there to be a markup of like 9% on gasoline. To me, let people sell it at cost if they want to use it as a loss leader. Um, Evers said that he would have supported a partial, uh, he would have partial change to the minimum markup law for gasoline, but he wanted to accompany it with a gas tax increase. So it's like, let's, Let's put a suspension on the gas tax. Let's get rid of the minimum markup law. That probably saves each and every one of us about 60 cents, 60 cents a gallon. If you do both of those, where are the politicians on this? Wake up. Do not they realize what these ridiculous gas prices are doing to are doing to individual people and what they're doing to the economy of the state because people are now concerned. This is way past the time. I've been doing this radio show full of part-time in this market for 27 years. You know, we've used to talk about, okay, at what point in time does the, the, does the gas price increase really hurt? Is it 3 bucks a gallon? Is it 4 bucks a gallon? Okay, it's now over $5 a gallon. This is really, really hurting everybody. And nobody in Wisconsin, at least, seems to be willing to do at least some rudimentary basic things that could give us all some relief at the pump. Let's start with Gianni in Montello. Good afternoon. Gianni. 
going, going, gone. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I'm frustrated. I'm 10 of 10. I'm a dump truck driver. In October of 2020, diesel was $1.97. Today, I paid $5.19, and honestly, no one seems to care about it. Yeah, I mean, diesel, you're... you're Right. That, that's a, a whole other thing. And as we've talked about before, with, with, with the price of, let's let diesel fuel, how, how do you want to talk about inflation and the fact that we're all seeing all prices sort of explode? Well, a lot of it comes back to energy costs because how do things get into the stores? They are brought by trucks. What is it that runs trucks? Well, it, it's, it's, Diesel gas. And when you've got the diesel drivers, the truck companies paying over $5 a gallon, they are going to pass that on to the retailers, the grocery stores, whatever. They're going to pass it on to the retailers who then pass it on to the consumers. It is a vicious, a vicious cycle that is out there. Jeff, high gas prices permeate every aspect of our lives. Delivery people, workers who come to your home, salespeople who get reimbursed for gas, absolutely. Yep, all the retail stores and restaurants. We can't all walk or ride our bikes to work or to shop. Um yeah, that's um it. Um, there, there's no question uh, about this. Um, Jeff, the gas station owners would keep the tax money. No way are gas stations letting it go to consumers. Um, no, no, blame OPEC for this. No, this isn't OPEC. Uh, this is not OPEC. Matter of fact, OPEC says that they're going to increase the, the supply that's out there. No, what well, we have only ourselves to blame. And I, I do lay a lot of this on the Biden administration because over the last couple of years, he's done everything he can since he took office to send the message that he does not want to see an increase in domestic oil production. Why? Because he's got this, uh, again, pie in the sky idea that he wants us all driving electric cars and the internal combustion engine is bad for the, the world climate. OK, well, we're, we're not there yet. At some point in time, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, electric cars may, in fact, be a reality. I don't know, but they're not now. And this war we have declared on, again, the internal combustion engine and this effort we have made to discourage domestic oil production has, in part, not solely, but in part, left us exactly where we are. Jeff, in order to cut grass, we have to buy that high price, no ethanol gas, which is $5 or 30 cents more per allen, um, a gallon. Instead of no mo may, it might be for the entire summer. Jeff, this morning, I canceled our annual family vacation to Kiowa Island, South Carolina. We're an upper-middle-class family um, with many cars, many drivers. Gas is eating up our fun money. The money our kids make at their after-school jobs pretty much goes directly into their tanks. After my husband spent over $600 round-trip last weekend to move my oldest son from the Washington, D.C. area to Chicago for an internship, we decided we had to trim our expenses. With college costs looming, inflated grocery prices, and now incredible gas prices, we thought it was irresponsible to spend more money on a non-necessity. I feel deeply for families who have economic situation is not as fortunate as ours yeah that that that's why you know some somebody it's one of the frustrations i have with the stuff that you're seeing out of madison because if, if i'm the republicans in the legislature i call a special assessment a special session for the purpose of dealing with the issue of gas prices and i've given you the two things moratorium on the state scale sales tax on gasoline and 
canceling the minimum markup law. You do those two things. Average citizens get a 60-plus cent a gallon break on gasoline, and they get it right now. And the same thing is true. The governor could do it, but he's not. He has no interest in doing this right now. And it's just so incredibly frustrating. And you want to talk about a regressive situation. What does regressive mean? As I say a lot of times, regressive means it hurts less well-off people more than it hurts uh, people who are well-off. Like our texter is saying, well, okay, they, they have to cancel a family vacation to, to Kiowa, South Carolina. All right, well, that, that's it's not the end of the world. So it, it's, it hurts them, but that that's fine. So you don't get to go on a vacation. For a lot of people, though, it's not a matter of going on vacation. It's a matter of making a lot of these difficult choices about, okay, food prices are up, gas prices are through the roof, Where and I don't have the money to spend on all this. Where, in fact, is that going to come from? And that's, I think, a very, very fair question. Jeff, you're just talking about the tip of the iceberg. Wait until food prices skyrocket due to higher prices to plow, to plant, to fertilize, and to harvest. Yeah, I mean, wait till you see what happens when the 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 costs that the farmers are now experiencing, that's going to get passed on to the consumers as well. And it all contributes to this vicious, vicious cycle that you have of inflation. You know, And um, my point is, it it is something that is perhaps controllable, but but nobody's taking the steps to to do this, and everybody's just kind of wringing their hands. Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks, Jeff. How are you doing today? Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? Hey, my 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 quick point my quick point of view is this: is that really on the north side, it, it's re- it's very bad. It's so bad where you you got. Gas prices at five twenty, five twenty-five cents a gallon, because they can charge that. Because it's a lot of the the Arabs, and that's what they charge. Now, I've seen it at four ninety-nine as you go back towards the other way, Wauwatosa area, things like that. But I don't know how long that's going to last, and with Woodman's and things like that. But the people in the central city are feeling the pinch so bad. So then that affects every day of life. So then now people are making life-changing questions as far as, okay, a pack of ground beef is 15 bucks, 10 bucks, you know, uh, you know, uh, just to buy a whole chicken is $25. But Governor Evers is responsible that he can do something at this point. But for, by him being inactive on this, and this is why I feel that we need a Republican governor in office that I believe, the, and, and Robin Voss, if you can do this for me, Maybe they can put something forward to put some pressure on Evers at this point. But it is affecting the people in the central city, and it's very bad at this point. And then crime goes up, Jeff, and I'll hang up and listen, because as you go higher to six bucks a gallon, you're going to get more crime. Oh, you are. No, no, thanks for calling. Right. And and look, here is the thing, and I'm not letting Republicans off the hook, because, okay, it's now 1230, 15 minutes from now, the state Senate which is controlled by Republicans, and the State Assembly, which is controlled by Republicans, they could have a joint announcement saying, we are demanding a special legislative session. We're repealing the minimum markup law. What we're doing is we're calling a gas tax moratorium. They could call for that, and they could put pressure. And then Tony Evers, if he wants to come out and says, I'm going to say I'm going to veto that, okay, then Tony Evers can veto that. But, but yeah, there needs to be stuff done. And people need to wake up and recognize that we can't just keep wringing our hands. There are things that politicians can do. There's 
there's some stuff that's beyond everybody's control, but not everything. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I um I, I I try to use that as a as a vehicle to kind of vent on things and and maybe highlight some stuff that we might not have time to have a full discussion on the program on. And there there is a a breaking story, and it's one of those situations where everybody is everybody is wrong, or almost everybody is wrong, but they finally they're, they're hopefully. Hopefully, it is a teachable moment, and people will learn things. Now, it, this all started with the Keel School Board. Keel, of course, a, a small town. In the Keel School Board, there's a mil, uh, middle school, and and look here. Here's the thing: middle schools are are tough. You know, you've seen the movie Mean Girls, which is high school. I mean, we all went through middle school. And 6th and 7th and 8th grade can, can be tough. And there, there's kids that bully other kids. And sometimes, you know, maybe if you wear glasses, they call you four eyes. And if you're too skinny or your teeth aren't straight or you're too heavy, you know, you know people, kids can be mean. That that's and, and we need to do everything we can to get that, that mean. And, and if you've got people that are bullying, you, you need to... You need to deal with that. So apparently what happens in Keel, in one of these middle schools, is you have a child who has transitioned, I believe, from a girl. I don't know. I don't know if it's a boy to a girl or a girl to a boy. Okay, that, that that's fine. And the child insists on being referred to by the pronoun they or them which isn't grammatically correct, but anyhow, they, the, the child doesn't want to be called he, doesn't want to be called she, wants to be referred to as they or them. And so you have a couple of the kids who refuse to call the child they or them using that, that pronoun. And you know the, the whole thing isn't public. I'm told by some people that the, the, the child who's transitioned has some attitude as well. But, but regardless, the, the controversy is there's a couple kids who refuse to call the kid by the pronoun they or them, which the child wants to be referred to as. I mean, this is, this is clearly a 2022 problem. All right. So here's what should have happened in a reasonable, sane world. And this is how I think you, you deal with bullying. You whistle the kids in to the principal's office or the assistant principal's office, and you sit them down and you say, you've got to knock this off. Look, I'm not going to tolerate, I'm not going to tolerate you guys picking on on this this person. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's over pronouns or hey, you, you shouldn't be calling four eyes or you shouldn't be making fun of their weight or something. You've got to knock this off. It is unacceptable. And if you keep doing this, I'm calling your parents. And then if, if that doesn't work, then we're going to, you know, try to move up to the next level. But just knock it off. Can't do it, right? That That's how, in a reasonable, sane world, this gets handled, right? Well, that's not how they decide to do it in Keel. What they decide to do is they decide to start a Title IX investigation, one, questioning whether federal law is being violated by these these kids who are refusing to use the proper pronoun. They, they, they want a Title IX federal investigation. And the parents of the, the kids who were, if you want to call it bullying, let's call it bullying for the sake of argument, that the parents of the kids, they don't even know this is going on until they get a notice saying that their kids are being investigated for violations of Title IX under federal law. It's not like, hey, you know, 
Mrs. Wagner, you know, Jeff, you, you, we're, we're having a problem with Jeff. He's referring to, you know, we, we think he's engaged in this bullying and you need to stop. The, the parents get notified that the kids are under federal investigation for Title IX, that the school board determined whether they're violating, you know, sexual, the, some of the, the this laws of sexual protection. Well, all right, at that point in time, the parents freak out and the parents contact the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, who then correctly looks at this and says that even if these kids did this, this is not a violation of Title IX. Title IX has some very, very specific things that it covers, but calling a kid the wrong pronoun isn't one of those. So this story then goes public, and then you have people in the Keel School District, and this is where it just gets weird. You've got people that it divides the community. You've got people that are calling it bomb threats and stuff like that. Stuff is being closed and canceled, and, and it's just you're off to the races with all this silliness. Well, of course, and, and I make this point with the in my my tweet, making anybody that's making threats, bomb threats or otherwise, needs to be identified and needs to be prosecuted. You, you cannot. I don't care how worked up you get about what you cannot be calling in threats or things like that. And if you do, you need to be investigated. And like I say, you need to be prosecuted. And if you're convicted, I, I think you should be spending some time as a guest of the state or guest of the federal government or or whatever. But but the new announcement today, after creating all this disruption, the Keel School Board announces, and I, I've got a link to this again if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 uh, a letter that they are sending to the community now saying that they are dropping the Title IX investigation aspect of this. And, you know, and, and then they're denouncing the threats and things like that. But, um, but buried in the letter is, I think, the key phrase. They have said, okay, we have issued clear directives and expectations to all students involved in this matter for the purpose of preventing bullying and harassment and ensuring a safe and supportive learning environment for all of our students. So essentially they are saying they've done what they should have done in the first place in try instead of trying to turn this into some federal case, you've got a bunch of middle school kids who are acting out in an inappropriate fashion. It's not we're going to look at Title IX and figure out whether or not there's some violation of, again, federal statutes. Instead, you call the kids in, you tell them to knock it off. If they don't knock it off, you call their parents, you tell their parents, you get the parents to help them knock it off. And if they still are engaging in bullying, whether it's calling some kid they or them as their preferred pronoun or doing something else, then then you move up to whatever the next level of discipline is but the the keel school board butchered this case in the beginning they overreacted that's not necessarily the right word you got to deal with bullying but to use the title nine hammer was just such overkill instead of just using some common sense to deal with this and then of course you've got other people who are outraged by this who respond with what appears to be criminal behavior as well so i guess that the lesson from this is you know maybe you need some cooler heads to prevail in the beginning and just when you've got again issues of bullying or harassment or however we want to do it why don't you just, I mean, start with calling the kids in, telling them not to do it, get the parents involved instead of we're going to start this investigation and then we're going to notify the parents that there's this investigation going on. Because when you do that, you end up being very, very divisive to the community. So hopefully Keel can move past this. But the way they handled it, my goodness, I mean, it just, 
it couldn't have been worse, I think, from the start. And then, of course, it led to all these other things, which were horrible as well. But it started... It started as a dispute between a couple middle school kids. For goodness sakes, maybe cooler heads all around can prevail. Uh, during this hour of the program yesterday, we spent a lot of time talking about this this YouTube video, this 18-minute YouTube video that's out focusing on the, the Kia Boys, which is a, a, a series. Of, it's actually like a sort of a large gang operating in Milwaukee, and it's, it's a loosely knit organization uh, that's actually giving it too much credit. It's a bunch of young punks, as young as the age of 11, who go out and steal cars, sometimes two, three, four a night. Why would you steal two or three or four a night? Because they drive and they smash up one car and they get out and they need to have steal another car. And I, I, I've got a link to the to the YouTube piece um, up on my uh, at my Twitter account. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But you watch it and it's chilling because you, you have the, these kids who just flat don't care. They don't respect anything. They don't care. They're just out running wild on the streets. There's no consequences at all, and they know it. You know, one of the points is people say, "Well, you're worried about the police chasing." They say, "Nah, nah. P- police chase. All we do is drive dangerous, and then they stop." And well, what if you get caught? Well, if we get caught, it's 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 nothing. It's a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. That's nothing at all. There there's no problem at all. And so they're they're stealing cars. And as we've talked about before in Milwaukee, you've got like twenty two to twenty five cars that are stolen a day, a day with no end to this in sight, because you've got these punks that are out there that do not care. So yesterday, at this this funeral that was being held down in Racine. The story is you've, you've got shots that are, are fired. There, there's somebody who's, it's a funeral of somebody who was shot by Racine police, and apparently um, somebody starts shooting the place up, so you, you have shots that are fired at the, the funeral. And so what happens is the mayor responds to the, the shots being fired at a funeral by saying, okay, here, here's the deal. One of the things that we're going to start doing is actively enforcing our juvenile curfew ordinance through the weekend. Everyone, anyone under 18 must be home by 11 p.m. So the response is, okay, this is the deal. Anybody under 18 has to be home by 11 p.m. What what happens if you are under 18 and you're out after 11 p.m.? Um, if you don't have a, if you're not with your parent or guardian, what happens is you can get a ticket. The ticket can range in price from $1 to $50. All right, one to 50 bucks. And if you don't show up in court, um, it's an automatic $25 forfeiture. So it's essentially, you get a ticket, it's 25 bucks. And um, let's see if you are a parent or guardian who knowingly allows your kid to be out after the curfew, you can be fined up to, well, between $1 and $750. Okay, that's that's the thing if you go after the parents. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I, if, if you want to say we're going to try to enforce the curfew to keep these young punks off the street, I, I'm all in favor of it. Okay, I, I'm all in favor of it. But at the same time, do we need a reality check? I mean, if you have 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds who are out at all hours of the night 
stealing car after car after car. Now, admittedly, this is Milwaukee, but Racine's got you know similar sorts of problems. All right, if if they don't care about stealing cars, are they seriously going to care about getting a, a ticket for for twenty five bucks? I guess th- this is my question: Will this work? And are the police going to be able to, will it have any sort of teeth? You see the 17-year-old kids hanging out on the corner at 1 o'clock in the morning, tonight, tomorrow night. You know that they are in all likelihood up to no good. You roll up, you give them the tickets. Is that going to change anything? And is is the threat of getting a $25 ticket or a $50 ticket or whatever it might be, is that going to be enough to discourage people who are out there looking to steal cars and don't care about that? 855-616-1620. I mean, if you want to impose a curfew, I think that's great. But you also then have to put teeth into the curfew, which says, hey, you know, you're out after you're out after dark. You're not getting a ticket. You're getting arrested and you're going to spend the next couple days in juvenile detention waiting to appear before a judge. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Okay, so the city of Racine says, all right, for the weekend, we're going to enforce something we've had on the books, which is for forever, which is a curfew. If you're under 18, you can't be out after 11 o'clock at night. I, I guess, I mean, I have a problem with enforcing it, but how to enforce it? They give these punks a $50 ticket. I mean, we, we've got 11 and 12-year-olds who are out there running in packs looking to steal cars, for goodness sakes. We've got 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds running around with guns looking to shoot up places. You're, you're going to give them a 50 dollar ticket and you think that's going to change behavior mike in illinois mike you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff how are you hi mike i'm good that situation adds insult to injury with the whole situation these people already have a huge disregard for the law not only is the fine a joke they're not going to pay it anyway nor will their parents yeah no mike thanks for the call yeah that's i look if I'm not against curfews, all right, and if you think you have the manpower and the resources down in Racine to enforce something like this, I'd say you'll go with God. That that's great, but but let's let's be realistic and reasonable about what we're talking about here. Then let's change that ordinance. Then okay, you know let's let's look at putting some real teeth into stuff. Let's give the police the authority to okay, you've got that gang of sixteen-year-olds that are out on the street at one o'clock in the morning. Let's give them the authority to round them up. Let's get them the authority to take them into custody. Let's get them the authority to take them to juvenile detention and let let them spend twenty-four or forty-eight hours in the Huskow or in detention or or whatever, as opposed to. Well, you know, boys or girls, you're not supposed to be out here this late. Here, here's the ticket. I, I, I just if, I mean, I'm trying trying to have this reality check, and this, of course, comes on the heels of that 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 YouTube piece showing 11 and 12 and 13 year olds out there stealing cars. And I'm like, all right, well, if you're out at one o'clock in the morning stealing cars, what what is the threat of a fifty dollar ticket going to do? And and do we really have the police resources to to rein this in? Now again, I applaud the effort. I'm, I'm not saying don't enforce it. I'm just saying, doesn't anybody raise their hand and say, okay, is this really going to make a difference or are we just virtue signaling? Let's talk about locking up the kids that are avail out there after four after curfew. But maybe first we should talk about locking up the kids that are, I don't know, stealing car after car after car. But I digress. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program, Say It Isn't So. The announcement today that Summerfest CEO Don Smiley is announcing that you're, you're, you're retiring at the end of next year. We're joined now by Don Smiley. Don, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I, I am well. All right. I, and say it isn't so. What's, what, what, uh, the announcement, of course, is that you're going to be stepping down, not this year, but next year. What, why now? Why, why these decisions? Stepping down sounds better than retiring. <laughs> um, and I prefer to use the word transition, but, um, <laughs> It's been in the works for a while, Jeff. Um, it goes back to last summer, working with our personnel committee, uh, headed by Chuck Harvey and now Dan Minahan. Uh, they asked that if I would come up with a recommendation for a succession plan. Seeing that, uh, th- there were several people involved here. Our general counsel, Frank Nicotera, retired at the end of 21, was replaced by Mary Shanning, and, of course, um, Bob Babish announced his retirement, who's going to be replaced by Scott Zeal. And I had also informed the committee that I would be finished at the end of 23, serving as CEO. And so that sparked a um, a move to come up with a recommendation that the full board could um, take under consideration and analyze. And that's what happened here this morning when Sarah Pankeri was voted to be president of the organization while I served the rest of my term as CEO. And, of course, Sarah, well-known in the community. I, I still I still know her as Sarah Smith. Sarah and I go back a long time. But she's, sure. she has been a great addition to, to Summerfest after working in, with a number of other organizations in the Milwaukee area before this. She's very talented, uh, has great uh, communication skills, has great instincts, very smart, has plenty of institutional knowledge as to how Summerfest works, um, both internally and externally in our community, what it means to our community. And she's a great pick to promote and become president. The personnel committee and the board will decide at a later date as to how this all works out in the end, but um, certainly the promotion that she received today was richly deserved, and um, she's she's um, very qualified for the position. Don, I, I know there's still going to be a lot of time to to kind of reflect on your tenure over the last 20 years, but I'm sure you've, you've given a little thought to this. As you look back over the last, you know, 18, 19, 20 years, what are the, uh, some of the accomplishments that you're most proud of with regard to your leadership of, of Summerfest and Milwaukee World Festivals? You know, Jeff, I really haven't given it a lot of, to- um, a lot of attention or time thinking about that. We're, we're just on the cusp of, of launching Summerfest 2022. We're laser-focused on that. Uh, but, you know, some of the obvious improvements that we've made here at the park we've we've raised all of the funds uh privately to improve the park to the best of our ability for the benefit of the fans and the bands and and everyone who uses this park from ethnic festivals and other one-off events so i think just um you know working on the infrastructure and having a vision and executing to that vision as to 
what it could be. And, you know, when I arrived in 2004, and next year will be 20 years, it's very hard to believe, uh, it was it, it was just needed at that time. There was a need, and that need translated into a vision, and then we executed on that vision. And, you know, it took a lot of people to execute on that vision, not the least of which our sponsors, who made it possible for us to build and to improve the infrastructure here so that Bob uh, can talk to agents and bands and 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 the like to make sure that Milwaukee is on their um, tour stops of festivals and 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 grounds to play uh, when when we're operating so uh, I, I I really believe that it you know that we compete nationally and internationally for bands and that the infrastructure bar has been raised to such a height that you really have to be good at that otherwise the bands aren't showing up and and they have a certain their expectation level has grown exponentially uh, over the years and and if 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 you don't have the constant improvement going on in within your grounds you're going backwards I know, Don, you're, you're particularly proud of all the work that was done at the American Family Amphitheater and, and the improvements that were made. And for people who haven't been down there, it really is spectacular. It really turned out great. Uh, that was a $51 million project. Um, we went out and raised that money privately. Uh, we did a bond deal. American Family Insurance was a big part of that. And But for the sponsors, again, and, and the individuals, that that stepped up to help us build that 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 wouldn't have been built and that building would have just you know gotten older and older and that's when bands stop coming so we're very proud of that and we think it's prepared for generations future generations of of music fans to come you know one of the things i I think sometimes people take for granted uh, an institution like summerfest because there's lots of festivals, music operations, etc., that you thought were going to be there forever, and, and they're not there anymore. Meanwhile, Summerfest endures, and that's not just something that just, just happens. It's something that happens because of lots of planning and effort. You know, it, it really, you know, as you look at something like this, and whether it's a sporting event in town or, or in any city, I mean, you really do have to pay attention to and nurture and take care of the properties that you do have because they they can go broke and they can move and they can um, dissolve if you don't take care of what you have and and Summerfest has endured over five decades now and um, there's a lot of people that are responsible for its success and it, it, it really is important to take care of it because when you, when you look at Summerfest, I mean, on any given year, I mean, we haven't had a normal year since 2019, but in a normalized year, you know, Summerfest will contribute anywhere from $155 million to $180 million of direct and indirect economic impact for the for southeastern Wisconsin and, and and a little bit more for the state of Wisconsin. So if you add that up over five years, you're getting close to a billion dollars of economic impact. So when you look at other events, for instance, the RNC is um, estimated to have a $200 million impact, which is fantastic for our community, no, no doubt about that. Um, 
But when you look at Summerfest, that you know, it would be easy to take it for granted because it's over five decades old. But when you do that, you risk, you know, this economic impact that happens year after year after year, and you know, you you just wouldn't want to lose that. So that's why it's very important to keep the grounds up and to keep the festival fresh and new and always innovate. You know, Don, to that to that point, and it's I, I was actually talking to somebody just the other night about this, and they were we were talking about Summerfest, and they were talking about old the old days. You know, I think when you started the festival, it used to run. It was Monday. It would start on a Thursday and then run through the, the following Sunday with no days off, and then then there was the controversy years ago when you guys decided to take Monday off and start on Wednesday, and now Summerfest has evolved to to over three weekends. You know, Thursday through through Saturday. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I know there's some people who just say, I wish it was the old days. But that's part of evolving, isn't it? Just having to kind of look at doing stuff differently. Well, you know, and, and we certainly respect everyone's opinion. And, and um, you know, I, I consider that passion when someone has an opinion about the festival, whether whether we agree with it or not. I mean, the, it, it would be worse if someone didn't have a uh, an opinion about your festival, which means they don't care at all. Um, but... You know, when we look at the numbers and, you know, expenses have gone up um, uh, and basically skyrocketed when you talk about bands and and all of the things necessary to produce this festival, you really have to look at the times in which you are able to generate as much revenue as possible and watch your expenses as closely as possible. So I understand the... um, the difference of opinion of, hey, you know, let, let's go back to the old days. Uh, but, you know, when you look around here on a Monday afternoon or a Monday night, there's not many people here on a Monday afternoon or a Monday night. So while some people may have liked that, it really didn't go towards the business model of of trying to manage revenue and expenses. So, I mean, we just didn't arbitrarily pick Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to operate three weekends um just, just we just didn't pick that out of a hat we, i mean we 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 went over the numbers with a fine tooth comb and uh we think that we can generate more revenue on three weekends when people are actually out spending money on Thursday, Friday and Saturday versus a Monday night or a Tuesday night i mean those were really quiet nights for us but we still had fixed expenses so the other thing that it's enabled us to do is when you save on expenses from those week W-E-A-K days, um, the fact of the matter is we can spend money on national headliners during the day on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So for those folks who don't want to come here at night, we're signing national headliners. If you look at our lineup, go to summerfest.com and look at the lineup and see what's playing here during the day, you would be astounded to know that there's there's more national headliners than there's ever been here. So it's a little bit of give and take and I and I understand the tradition and people don't you know don't usually accept change very easily but when you're running this business I mean you really do have to look at all the angles. Don how how difficult has the last couple of years been for for you and and for the staff down there? It's been as difficult as it is for everyone in our society not knowing what's going on or or how covid has affected you personally or in your business. Um, I have uh, great empathy 
for anyone in the hospitality business or music business or theater business or what have you because we lived it and we were the first to close and last to open. So, um, you know, for Bob, you know, um, and, and the rest of us around here, we started booking this festival in June of 20. That didn't work out. September of 20 didn't work out. June of 21 didn't work out. We finally got it off the ground in September of 21 to some lukewarm results. And the, and the reason they were lukewarm is because we were operating in September. Kids were going back to school. We were fighting with Labor Day. We hire a lot of part-time uh, teachers here. So that, that – um, workforce was not available to us so it was challenge after challenge after challenge but we got it off the ground and 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 we made it happen and we were thankful to do it look really looking forward to getting back to our june and july dates we start june 23rd of this year for three weekends after that so you know look it's difficult on everyone in every walk of life the, the the past couple of years has just been um just been most difficult and and we're in the same boat with everyone else we just happen to be in a business that um has got a lot of moving parts to it well don i as you know i'm a big fan of Summerfest. i'm a big fan of the job that, that you have done over the last couple decades Thank you. and you know we're, I, you're, you're not leaving tomorrow so we're going to have lots of opportunities no. to, no. You know, to to kind of look back and uh, and all the accomplishments and stuff and i'm very much looking forward to being on the grounds we're broadcasting from Summerfest 2022 and i hope to have the opportunity to have several more conversations with you and i want to be one of the first to say i'm, I'm sorry you're leaving but i I wish you the very best in in your transition and whatever whatever ne- comes next for Don Smiley. You've done a great job with Milwaukee World Festivals, and you deserve all the best. Jeff, thank you. I really appreciate it, and I will be around till the end of 2023 for sure. Okay, take care. Don Smiley, we appreciate you joining us this afternoon. That's, thank you, uh, Jeff. That's uh, Don Smiley, who's announcing that, once again, he's – uh, going to be stepping down, not immediately, but um, at the end of Summerfest next year. All right, we're going to have a, uh, I'm going to offer a couple, couple thoughts on that when we come back. Stick around. If you are a regular listener to this program, you, you know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Summerfest. As I was saying earlier, I'm a huge fan of the job Don Smiley has done. Um, as somebody who... I, I I went I didn't go to the first Summerfest but I went I I've been I have been a regular attendee at Summerfest since Summerfest was on the Summerfest grounds and I I'm here to testify about the the different changes in the infrastructure I mean I went to Summerfest when the main stage was on the north end of the grounds and you had a bunch of bleachers and then it was all grass or dirt or whatever and you'd put down a blanket and you'd sit there and it was porta potties and it was nothing but beer tents I, I I've seen the infrastructure structure that's been there and i think one of the things i I credit don smiley and you know he's modest enough to to you know give you know all sorts of accolades to everybody but it was very very clear and i'm I'm a fan of bo black too but bo black her her vision was let's build up Summerfest as let's get lots of attendance here let's make it an event I, i think don took Summerfest to the next level in that he recognized that for the festival to have staying power, you, you needed to make improvements on the infrastructure. You, you needed to have the, the bathrooms instead of the porta-potties. You needed to have the constant improvements to the stage. You needed to have, I, I don't know, the, 
the, the, the BMO Harris Amphitheater, for example, that, you know, that offers, you know, something that you can do in addition to the Marcus Amphitheater, in addition to the American Family Amphitheater with all the changes. It, it's that infrastructure that, that, that's hard. You know, people, you know, you walk down, oh, that's a new stage. It's cool. But you don't understand all the work that goes into, you know, finding the sponsors and raising the money and, and doing that. And, and it, it's private money, which is so very cool. And I think that's always kind of been Don's vision. And I remember every time we talk about this, it, it's always difficult to figure out how you judge the success of a festival. Is it is it attendance? Well, y- yes and no. Or is it experience? I mean, is it, oh, we have a million people coming in here, but 250,000 of them are, are underage kids who are going to try to sneak beer. Is it or is it like, look, we want to have the best possible experience we, we can. And I always think Don Smiley's done a great job of balancing that together with his staff. And I, I, I just, you, you understand, Don, I think, is going to be in like six. I, he'll hate me saying this, but I think he's 66 now. And I think when he's planning on stepping down, he'll be 67 or maybe 60, turning 68. Sorry, Don. But it's one of those deals where, I mean, I, I think he's just had a, a very, very good career. And I understand it's one of these things where you reach a point where you say it's 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 time. And, you know, I think a lot of the people that helped build the festival to where it is now, like he was saying, the people that we work closely with, you know, they're starting to retire. So this this makes eminent sense. And um, he's not heading out the door with his box of future endeavors anytime soon. He'll be around through this festival and the next festival as well. But I, I think... For those of us who love Summerfest and love the institution as part of the community, we have all been very, very well served by Don Smiley as the CEO over the course of the last 20 years, and he will be missed. Jane, before you go, one of our listeners, we were talking to Don Smiley, and I was kind of reminiscing, because I've been going to Summerfest since 1970. One of our listeners said, what was the first show you saw at Summerfest? Ooh, boy, that's tough. I, I, You know, I'm pausing for me... And it, it all came back because HBO is doing – it just, just blew out this – HBO Max has this new two-part special on George Carlin, the comedian. I was I, – and people say they were at the Ice Bowl. I wasn't at the Ice Bowl, but I was at Summerfest. For that Carlin show? For the Carlin show, yeah. Well, it wasn't really even the George Carlin show. The, the headline act was Arlo Guthrie and Pete Seeger, and I, I, they had the, – they had um, – Brewer and Shipley, who's had, they were one hit wonders. It was one toke over the line. Yep. So they had Brewer and Shipley. They, they had Arlo Guthrie and, and Pete Seeger. Um, there was the Siegel Schwall Blues Band, which was this kind of a regional band. Um, and there was George Carlin. He was in the middle of all that. So it wasn't like he was the, the headliner. And then there might have been an opening act that I'm drawing a blank on. But I, I was at the, Whatever age I was at there, I was 15 at the time. I think. Oh, so, wow. So I was I was at the stage. And, of course, nobody knew that Carlin had been arrested. He came out, he did the show, and then they apparently arrested him afterwards. So I, I was there in 70s. That's the first one I remember. But I know I know I was there before that, and I'm, I'm thinking – I'm thinking it might have been Sly and the Family Stone, which was a headliner in 1970. But I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a clear recollection of that. What, what, uh, you, boy, I am just drawing a blank because I would, I was working. We would, we we sponsored a comedy stage for the station that I was working for at the time. Right. So we were down there every day introducing the comedy headliners. Right. So that I remember. Um, but my, the first band, I, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, it, it, it all. That's what I said it, it all kind blurs of all, together it, after it, a while. It does. When did you? When did you start going to Summerfest, either working or attending? 1984. 84, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Isn't, one thing is, for people who are 
younger than, than us. Um, it, it's, it is amazing to me. The in, I mean, I just have these, these memories of what Summerfest was like in the 70s, which Muddy is and uh, porta potties yes, exactly. and some beer tents, and it would rain, and you'd have a couple like little paved things, and there really wasn't anywhere to go to get out of the, the rain. The, it, it, I mean, every time I, I go down there, when we broadcast from there, I always make a point the first day of just kind of walking around and looking at the infrastructure because it is amazing how that has, has changed over the years. And these beautiful amphitheaters and the mini amphitheaters and as you said all, all these permanent structures that were not there right. it was more like it was more like a field festival yeah when it started yeah you know it, we just put up some stages in the on the grass and you know people sit on the benches and right it was just right. a lot it was a lot looser back then uh, well you know to that point one of the other and i i do not this is i I do not have to claim to be to places that I wasn't because I've been to a lot of interesting places. One of the more infamous nights in Summerfest history was the night of what they call the Humble Pie Riots. Humble Pie was a, like a British rock group, and it was the last night of Summerfest 1970-whatever. And I was there that night, and, and the crowd got out of control. I was, I, it was one of those sort of uncomfortable things because it, it was all tents and stuff, and people were climbing on the tents, and it was... That always ends well. It all, yes. yes. And, and they were like... It, again, it was like the last night, and people were just jumping in the beer tents. It was a real... I, I'm going to have to look that up now. I think it was like 74, but they call it the Humble Pie Riots. Wow. I, I was there, and it was one of those nights where you're just kind of like, okay, let, let me get out in one piece. My best friend got arrested at summer. <laughs> you know what I'm taking away from all of this? You're trouble wagon. <laughs> I, 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 my, my mission. I, I'm my. Yeah, he, he got arrested. He's gone on to you know very successful careers as an attorney and stuff. He got arrested at, at Summerfest. And I, my, my mission was at at a young age too to try to figure out how to bail. How do you find? How do you find your buddy when he's been arrested? And it, it, it was that a bad beef. That led you into law. That led it, you into law. Led me into law. Right. He, right. I, it, it also gets us to say that everybody should spend a night in jail. <laughs> you know, it opens your mind. At least, don't, not that I spent the night in jail but i spent the night trying to find my friend and, and how to get him out of out of jail but it's i got this story i should write a book huh? you should. that's that's hilarious <laughs> well yeah he, he didn't think so at the time i'm still not sure he thinks so to this day but it's you know we you know we i, I remember he told his kids at one point in time we're now adults he you know one of them had done something stupid or whatever and he said well don't feel too bad because there was a time that mr wagner and i you know we got into trouble Pushed but, it just a little bit. Yeah, he did put. That's exactly what it was. He yeah. pushed. When the police officer says, "Don't say one more word," you know, my my soon to be in law school friend probably should have not said that one more word. That was probably the word. That was it. Um, yes. When we come back, Donald Trump weighs in in Wisconsin. Will it make a difference? Stick around. There you go. This is their one-hit wonder. This is Brewer and Shipley, one toke over the line. I saw him in live. I saw him live that night. Yep, um, uh, the Humble Pie riots. I, I was not having a flashback or hallucinating. It actually was the next year. It was the year after Carlin got arrested, uh, July twenty-first, nineteen seventy-three. Here's the way it's described and what I'm looking at during a set by rock band Humble Pie, and I'm pretty sure that was the that was that final Sunday night. That's at least my recollection. During a uh, during a set by uh, rock band Humble Pie, and who 
probably people, you know, that, I, nobody's heard of Humble Pie, you know, but they, they were a big rock, British rock band, as I recall. A crowd stormed a beer tent, smashed beer barrels, broke into locked refrigerators, and started bonfires. Yeah, I remember that. About 300 people were arrested by police officers decked out in riot gear. Um, we definitely will stay away from rock groups, then Summerfest executive director and former Green Bay Packer Henry Jordan vowed. And for the next few years, the festival played it safe, booking the likes of Gladys Knight, Johnny Cash, and the Beach Boys for the main stage. How things have changed. But I was yeah, I was there that night. Like I say, people remember being at the Ice Bowl. I was not at the Ice Bowl, but I was. I was at Summerfest. Uh, Jeff, um, I you're bringing back so many memories. Um, I, um, Arlo was great that night. Yeah, Arlo Guthrie was great. You know, Alice's Restaurant and stuff. I was at Humble Pie, too. It was scary. We left. Yeah, I remember trying to... Um, I remember trying to get out of that as well. So it, it, it's, I, I just, I bring this up again because when you go down to Summerfest, if you choose to go down to Summerfest, just walk around the grounds and particularly if you are of a certain age, just remember what it, what it was like. Every time I'm, I'm walking on the pavement and stuff like that and I go into one of these that, you know, the, the fixed bathrooms that they have, I'm thinking, man, I, I can remember being lined up, you know, 25 deep at the porta potties and stuff and just, you know, hoping you're going to make it. And I can remember all the, the different, you know, when, when the choices, when you didn't have all the different choices of food, what you really did is you were going down there to buy, buy beers. And I do remember one night, there was one year, beers used to be 50 cents. I know I'm dating myself now, but it used to be 50 cents for a 12 ounce class of beer. One of the, um, you know, it's a, it's a moment that lives in Wagner lore that there was one year that they decided to sell 24 ounce cups of beer for a dollar because the beers used to be 50 cents, honest to God. And I, I learned the the hard way that you 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 can't drink as many twenty four ounce beers for a dollar as you can twelve ounce beers for fifty cents and that was that was a rough morning still remember that okay let us we're, we're by the way we're we're kind of there's one more hard politics topic I want to do and then we're going to kind of transition into some other sort of lighter stuff I, I try to do that on Fridays as we move into Pop Culture Corner brought to you by Palermo's Pizza which is coming up in about forty five minutes or so all right the big I guess local statewide political news is that the Donald has spoken. The Republican race for governor is shaping up as a very, very contested race. Um, for the longest time, I think the front runner has been Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clay, former Re- uh, Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish, who has been a um, well-known commodity in Wisconsin politics. She's been running for governor for a while. She has the support of a lot of institutional Republicans because she's well-known because of everything she did when she was lieutenant governor. She's been out campaigning aggressively. Um, Kevin Nicholson, who has run unsuccessfully once or twice, businessman, former Marine, really good guy. He's running, at least in the polls, he's had trouble getting some traction, but you know who knows what's going to happen. Tim Michaels, um, who is one of the family owners of the Michaels Corporation, which is a huge international corporation, but it's based out of kind of the Fond du Lac area. He got in the race about a month ago. The big advantage that Tim Michaels has is that he's able to self-fund, and you've undoubtedly seen lots of Tim Michaels' um Ads, You've, I think they're running some radio ads on our station as well. He he's gotten in the race and it's clearly, I think, making a splash. And then the other candidate is State Representative Timothy Rantham from Campbellsport, 
who is sort of running on a the big campaign issue is let's try to um, let's try to revoke the results of the 2020 election. I'm not sure that's going to go very far. So I, I would I would if you ask me, I, I think definitely that the top tier of candidates is Rebecca Clayfish and certainly Tim Michaels. And I, I'd include Kevin Nicholson in there. And then everybody else is kind of just sort of there. So the big announcement today was that uh, former President Donald Trump, who has been going around the country making endorsements, he has decided to endorse Tim Michaels for the governor's race. And I know that some of the other candidates had met with him, but Trump has decided he's going to wade in and give Michaels the endorsement. And, um, you know, Tim, I know, is, is, is touting that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I think this is interesting because we did a topic on yesterday's program, and the question was, all right, do, do you want to see Donald Trump go away? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not, not the policies necessarily, but Donald Trump, the, the individual, you know, ha- has he overstayed his welcome? And whenever we talk about this, we get a very, very mixed response. But I think a lot of people, even though they respect the job that, that Donald Trump did because of the chaos over the preceding four years and because of, well, just the, the stuff that happened on January 6th and the refusal to accept the results of the election. Even though they appreciate a lot of the issues he raised, they they would, a lot of people think that it's in the best interest of the Republican Party for him to move on. All right, but he's making endorsements. He now says, Tim Michaels. Tim Michaels is his guy. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does that help, hurt, or really not move the needle one way or the other for Tim Michaels? 855-616-1620. It's kind of the Goldilocks question. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it just right? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or does it not move the needle? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The big Wisconsin political news today, at least on the Republican side of the aisle, is former President Donald Trump has announced he is endorsing businessman Tim Michaels in the crowded Republican primary. Does this help or does it hurt? Sharon and Heartland. Hi, Sharon. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Sharon. Hi. What do you think? Helps or hurts? Can you hear me? I can. You're on the air. Oh, I think hurts. Okay. <laughs> I think it hurts. My knee-jerk reaction, I was listening, and when you said, oh, Tim Michaels is a good guy, because I respect you, I've listened to you for years, so I was like, okay, well, that's good to know. I'll still do all my research and everything, sure. but that's good to know. And then as soon as you said Donald Trump is endorsing him, I was like, okay, he's not my guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me why. That's I mean, just, just reaction I had. No, well, and, that, and that's, I because mean... People are going to be reacting, but but tell me tell me why the Trump endorsement to you is a turnoff? Because because I think Trump just did so much to hurt the party. You know, I just think the Republican Party is different than Donald and what Donald Trump wants to continually portray it as. And I think I don't know. I mean, I just I feel like the Republican Party has lost a lot of respect and such. And I just the way that. Yeah, that Donald goes about his business is just mm-hmm. nothing that I want, you know. Yeah, I got to it. do with, and I so I want somebody, I want somebody yeah. else to, you know, yeah. to do it. I just no, I understand I wish everybody the best. 
No, thanks for call, Sharon. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I have not taken a position. I'm not sure I will take a position in the Republican primary. One of the things I will do, my intention is when we get closer to the early August primary, I am going to invite all the candidates that I think have a reasonable chance of winning, in my opinion. I'm going to invite them in, and we'll, we'll spend a little bit of We'll spend a little bit of time with, with each of them. I, I have made a conscious effort of not having candidates on right now because I think it's a little bit bit soon. But I will will we'll give each of the candidates that I think has a reasonable opportunity of, of winning. I'm not sure I'm going to devote time for fringe candidates just for the sake of doing that. But I, I am going to do that. I guess I, I look at this as... I think it is a two it is a two edged sword. I'll read you some of the text in just a moment. And I think part of I, I mean, see, what I am looking for is electability. You know, if you're a Republican, you got to find somebody that's going to be able to to beat uh, Tony Evers in a year year where Tony Evers should be extremely beatable. The the problem with some of the Trump endorsed candidates is I don't know what comes with it. Does that mean that you have to spend the next three or four months? Uh, obsessing about the 2020 election, like former President Trump still obsesses about the 2020 presidential election. If that's it, that that's a loser strategy. It is because I understand that there's parts of the base that are still worked up about it. But but the election, the, the issues that win in 2022 for a Republican candidate for governor, it, it's not hard. I mean, it's the economy, stupid, like Bill Clinton used to say. You know, it's crime issues. I mean, we're, my God, we're talking about gasoline at five dollars a gallon. We're talking about you know people paying through the nose for you know groceries. Um, those those are the different issues. And you know, Tony Evers says you know he's doing doing everything right or doing the right thing for Wisconsin. Well, n- no, but but you need somebody if people are going to be talking about and obsessing about you know what happened in you know Green Bay in the two thousand twenty election. That's taking your eye off the prize, and I don't. So I don't know what comes with the the Trump endorsement. Um, that so I I think it's it's a two edged sword this morning. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I uh, I don't know that much about uh, Michaels, but Trump's endorsement makes him a definite no for me. I am the proverbial swing voter, conservative suburban female who wants no one beholden to Trump for any office. Jeff, I'm shocked that an endorsement matters at all. Can't people independently think? Well, it, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. That, like I say, that's that's always been the question. I mean, did you? I, I can honestly say I have never cast a vote in an election because somebody else said that they were voting for that person. I, I just, but that that's me. I, I've never done that. But I mean, obviously, endorsements. At least some people might think that they're they're you know important. And the, the question is, you know, how much weight does a Trump endorsement carry? You know, in Georgia, you know, he he was carrying out his vendetta against the governor and the secretary of state, and that failed spectacularly. In Pennsylvania, the Senate race, which is very close between Dr. Oz, who Trump endorsed, and a, a businessman who, and it appears Oz has won by less than 900 votes, my guess is the Trump endorsement probably you know, helped move the needle enough to have uh, Oz win. That, that's just kind of my sense of that. Jeff, I'm less likely to vote for anyone that Trump endorses. He may have had good business points but the personality i can't get past it um yeah so you've got that jeff um 
I was in Fond du Lac County leading towards Tim Michaels due to respect for the family and the Michaels company until Trump's support. Now I need to rethink this. I hope Michaels downplays the Trump endorsement. Yeah, that's that's the question is, is what do you end up doing with it? And that, that'll be the interesting dynamic. I know today it, it's being touted. You know, one of the you know, real interesting Republican success stories over the course of the last several months has been, you know, picking up the governorship in Virginia. And Glenn Youngkin, who who won a very contested race, he was able to sort of triangulate that whole thing between, I, I want to bring in the, the, the diehard Trump supporters who might not be mainstream Republican Party supporters, and I want to surround them and, and unite them with the Republican Party and unite the party and then reach out to independent voters who are looking for a, a change, and it turned out to be a successful strategy. That, that I think, is if it's going to be Tim Michaels who's the nominee, if he ends up winning, that's going to be the strategy for him. Because just being endorsed by Donald Trump, I guarantee you that that's not going to win you the general election. Um, it might help in the Republican primary. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. The 2 o'clock hour of the Friday show is when I always try to have a little bit of fun. Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by Palermo's Pizza. Try saying that three times fast. Coming up at the 2.30, Jane Matinere, before you leave, Howard Johnson's Restaurant. Did Did you ever eat at Howard Johnson's? Boy, that's a long time ago. They used to have one in Oshkosh. There used to be. I remember that my parents would. That, see, here's my my folks were from from the Baltimore area, and Howard Johnson's were were with like the orange roof and stuff. Right. They, they were big on on the East Coast. I mean, it, you know, it was it was an institution. You know, Howard Johnson's, and you know, whenever. For example, when we moved here and we drive back to Baltimore for vacations and stuff, you'd always there were they had their their routine. You'd, you'd stop at the, the, the various Howard Johnsons, and they used to have um, my mom liked this the fried clams. Like they'd have this, and they'd serve it like on a hot dog, like on a on a toasted hot dog bun. With, really? Yeah, fried clams. That, I'm, what what can you say? But she liked that. I always thought they were sort of. I, I didn't quite get what the appeal was, but they used to have one in Oshkosh, and I can remember stopping there. The reason I ask you about that is just like there is only one blockbuster video left in the country, who right. thought of that, the last Howard Johnson's restaurant has closed. Where was it? The last Howard Johnson's restaurant was in Lake George, New York. So I assume that's upstate New York. Um, it's, I mean, at one point in time, they say, you know, there were there were just hundreds and hundreds of these all across. But it was particularly like, primarily up and down the East Coast. Yeah. But, um, yes, the, the last one has, has closed now. They're gone. But think about Kmart. Oh, yeah. You Who know, I mean, Sears. Uh, just, just other things that were so iconic uh, stores and chains that were have been iconic at least for most of my lifetime, right? And and they're gone. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the classic example that it still is Blockbuster. I mean, for anybody of a certain age, I I just always remember how big. I mean, the the idea that you know you on Friday nights you run to that Blockbuster to wait for the <laughs> new VHS releases. Yes. So you you can grab them and then then you have 48 hours to watch them and you got to return them, you know, yes. by at at the drop-off window by Sunday night. But people, I mean, the the, the there was the one I used to go to was and um it was at Bayshore Shopping Center, and it, it's it's kind of 
you know, long gone, but it was at a big parking lot and stuff. I mean, people, there, there would be like long lines to get in the parking lot on Friday night. It was oh, just incredible. There was all kinds of competition. Yeah. You wanted to get there early. You know, you wanted to be there early at Blockbuster so you would get the, the newest, right, the, the, the newest one. And then, so that's, that's what you would do. And it was just like the coolest thing that you don't have to go out to movie theaters anymore. You can sit at home and you can put the tape in and you can, I always remember saying, then having to re, your, your, rewind, you rewind, be kind, <laughs> rewind, right? That's right. <laughs> but it was just, but it was just one of these things. Things where I guess that that's what really kind of strikes me about you have these these things that you think are always going to be there, and then they're they're, they're not. And I mean, Howard Johnson's were ubiquitous, uh, just all across the country. And there's a lot of places like that that you go, my God, I can't believe they're gone. Well, if you have a favorite place, stop in there today and tell them how much you love them because they might be gone sometime soon. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, all right. I'm going to tell you about how I learned to read and whether people are still reading the same things I was reading when I learned to read. It's an interesting story. Stick around. It might sound silly, but um, I first of all, I I think for you parents out there, one of the the greatest gifts that you can give your children is is a passion for reading. I, I look at what I, any success, whatever, however large or small that's been in my life, I attribute it in many respects to the fact that I, I developed early on in my life a, a love for, for reading to the point that my wife always kind of laughs because nowadays, I mean, at any given time, I'm, I'm reading two or three books. I mean, I just, and, and I try to, I, I think it keeps my mind more alert. I, it makes me more interested about things. And I, I read, I mean, I read history. I read, you know, silly suspense things. I read Cold War novels. I, I just, I read new stuff. I read older stuff. I try to read some classics. But I, I just, it keeps my mind active. I, I love to read. I read political science stuff as well. And I think that that's one of the greatest gifts you can give a kid. I, um, Some of my, my wife's grandchildren, I my grandchildren too, I guess. What I what I will do is I try to occasionally I will give them books, you know, books that I think are important to me that they might enjoy, and I'll kind of inscribe them. It's just I, I want to try to pass on that that love of reading, and I, I'm very upfront about it. See, I think especially with young people, you, you don't start off reading the classics. You start off reading stuff that gets you interested. For me, I developed my passion for reading from from the comics it, it started off with like newspaper comic strips and then it kind of graduated into comic books and then it graduated into other stuff but i mean i i never apologized for growing up reading spider-man and batman and i, I was a marvel comics guy the uh, you know a lot of the marvel comics things and many of which i wish i hadn't thrown out again given the value but i i, I grew up and I, I can always remember, you know, you'd be reading these comic books and I'd see a word and I didn't know what the word was. So I'd, you know, ask my mom or dad, you know, what, what's what is this word? And they tell me what the word was. And in any event, it, it was reading for the sake of reading. And, and I absolutely loved it. But it started out with comic books. But before it was comic books, it was the comics and the newspapers. And then I went on from after you'd read the comic strips in the newspapers, you'd then I kind of graduated to reading the sports section. And then I'd read the whole newspaper and things like that. But it it, it, it one thing led to another. I bring this up because I've been thinking about newspaper comic strips. The story in the Washington Post today, Popeye. That uh, and a lot of people will think about Popeye from the cartoon shows and things like that. But Popeye uh, started as a comic strip, 
and the Popeye comic strip. Everybody knows Popeye. The Popeye comic strip um, turned 93 a couple months ago. It, it's been produced for 93 years. And the story is that there was a, a debate. They were the, the guy who's been producing this, uh, who's been drawing it and, and writing it for decades is getting ready to, to retire. And so the question among the syndicators was, do you still, you know, do we keep it going or do we just simply say it's time to retire, you know, Popeye as, as a daily comic strip? And they ultimately, they made the decision, no, they're going to, they found somebody else who's going to continue the drawing the script and writing it. So Popeye will, will live on. But I got to thinking about, you know, comic strips. I still, I still have about, I would say there's about a half dozen comic strips that I still read on a daily basis. Now, I, I don't get a hard copy of, of a newspaper, but what I do is I've got a subscription to, uh, I've got the subscription to like JS Online. And so, you know, I, I will, you know, I'll, I'll pull up their their paper, and there's there's about a half dozen comic strips that are in there that I read. There's a lot that I don't. And then there's one or two other comic strips that I have been following through the years, and I, I'm able, I access them over the Internet as well. So even at my age, I am still reading the funnies from time to time. But I, I'm wondering whether this is a complete is, is this just another example of, hey, this, this is one of the ways you can tell that you're a dinosaur getting ready to thrash around in the tar pit because you're, you're, you're still reading comic strips. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Popeye is having a resurgence. They're not going to discontinue this. Did you grow up reading comic strips, and do you still do that? I admit, but there's, like I say, there's about a half dozen comic strips that I still regularly read on a daily basis and now i have to work a little bit about it because i've got to pull up the you know uh, edition of the newspaper online to, to find them or i've got to go to a couple other websites that have some of the ones that aren't carried locally but yeah i i still it, it's a habit that i have not gotten out of do you do you still read comic strips 855-616-1620 and if so which ones we discuss in just a moment Popeye the Sailor Man lives on. If you're just tuning in, uh, the comic strip has been in existence for 93 years, and there was some discussion about whether or not they were going to discontinue it because the guy who was writing it was ready to retire, and they've made the decision that they, they've hired somebody new, and so Popeye continues um, a, as a comic strip. But I, I wanted to talk about that because I, I – grew up learning to read. I started on comic strips, and it led to comic books, and then it led to all these other things. And it's a habit. I don't know if they're not a bad habit, but it's a habit that has kind of stayed with me to this day, to the point that, you know, every day when I'm getting ready for the show and I'm looking at all the stuff I prepare, I always take a couple minutes, and there's a handful of of comics that I continue to read, some of which are available through the local paper. Others I have to work a little bit harder on, but I became a Funky Winkerbean fan decades ago, and I still... I still look at it and follow it every day, and some of them are good and some of them aren't, but it doesn't matter. It's that habit. 855-616-1620. All right, are you stuck on comic strips? We start with Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm pretty much like everybody else my age in Milwaukee. I grew up reading the green sheet. Um, you know, that's where you got all your comics 
comics from all of the classics back then. I've kind of restricted myself nowadays to reading them online because I don't get the journal. Right. Um, but I like Luann, and I also like Pearls Before Spite. Oh, yeah. I like Luann, too. I, 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 I follow Luann is one of the ones I do. No, thanks for the call. No, there, there's still a couple that are out there. There's Luann, I, um, Arlo and Janice, which is kind of about like sort of a hippie couple who's now grown up. I, I follow that. There's a handful of other ones that I, um, oh, what's the one with the kid zits? I've still, I, I, I follow that as well. And it's just, it's kind of like this habit. It's sort of like comfort food in a way. Jeff, um, I did as a child, then less and less. I quit completely when peanuts quit. Yeah, that's uh, no doubt about that. Um, Jeff, my sixth grade son is just finishing up an English project for writing their own comic strip, which I think is wonderful. And my fourth grade daughter is very much into what are called graphic novels. Wasn't sure that was the first time I looked at them, but I said, oh, it's it's just a glorified comic book. They just take a different form, but they're still out there. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, the, the, the graphic novels, a lot of those... Well, they, they might feature, whereas a comic book is something that, you know, every month there's a comic book that happens and you follow the adventures. A lot of times graphic novels are, are more self-contained, not always, but they're, they're, they're exactly that. They're like a novel, but they are, you know, contained in the, the space of the whole publication. Absolutely. Jeff Crankshaft, the school bus driver. Yeah, I still, um, I, I follow, I read Crankshaft as, as well. There's, there's no question about it. Um, 855-616- one six twenty. Um, let's see, Jeff. My dad had a collection of Dilbert stuff and full comic books when he used to work in the corporate cubicle world, and I got into it when I was in middle school. See, that's the thing that's important um, that's out there, Jeff. Um, I loved the Far Side. I used to check it out every day. Yeah, that was one I never quite got into, but it nevertheless it was. Yeah. You know, it, it's there's this kind of joy in reading that's there, that, that's out there. And so I, I think if, I guess the, the purpose of this segment is, is really, I think sometimes people think that all the reading you need to do, it's got to be this highbrow stuff or things like that. Well, well no, I, I think what happens is if you want to give people the joy of reading, and which I think is just a key to success in later life, you know, get people interested in doing that. And I, I'm not anti-video game and stuff like that. I, I'm not. I appreciate that there's a role for that. But hopefully it doesn't come at the expense of reading books or things like that. And one of the ways to get kids maybe off of that computer screen that they carry around with them on the time called the cell phone or out from away from like the video games is get them reading stuff like comics early on to give them an opportunity. Fred and Franklin. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I just wanted to remark that as a young boy, when I had a paper out, the first thing I grabbed when I brought got picked my papers up was the green sheet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we wanted to read that because little Abner was in there and yeah. that was a series and it was always something to keep track of. Yeah. And then we laid we waited waited until fall to find out about the the Sadie Hawkins Day race and see how that was gonna work out. 
Right. Low. And I think the author of that comic strip also wrote in the uh, the schmooze. They brought those into the into the comic strip. Yeah, little your Al Cap, uh, no, little animals. No, thanks to Al Cap, who was of course you know be, be, during the Vietnam War became very very politically active as well. But he did a little Abner, and you know then there was Pogo. There were all those those different you know comic strips that are there. Now I admit I tend to I, I tend to gravitate towards the the lighter ones, you know, and things like that. But I mean there used to be. I mean, comic strips, there was a time, and I know they still have some of them, like the Mary Worths and things like that, that were like, they were like soap operas, you know, and you'd kind of follow them around and, you know, what's going to happen to your characters? Paul in Kenosha. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I live in Kenosha, but uh, for about nine years, my family and I lived in Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C., and I taught cartooning at a community center for five years um, in, uh, in Virginia, which was right over the river, right over right. the Potomac. Sure. And um, one of the things that you might be very discouraged to hear, many of my students were like teens or grade school age. Most of them had never, ever even seen a cartoon in a newspaper, and the reason being is because most of their families no longer subscribe to newspapers. So when I would try to tell them about cartoons, like the ones that all your listeners are mentioning, most of them had no idea what those cartoons were because they had never seen them. The only cartoons that they were still aware of was Peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes, and Garfield. And that's the reason is because all three are still being published in book collections. Interesting. No, thank, thanks for calling. No, I think you're right. There, there's no question the demise of the daily newspaper has probably really contributed to that. And like I say, nowadays, you, you, you've got to work to find them. I mean, even, you know, who gets a hard copy of a newspaper delivered anymore? Not that many people and probably almost nobody under the age of uh, like 50. And and if you are one of those people, you're, you're kind of you're sort of like the dinosaur. Um, the theory, it's just it's not this medium. Everything's being driven to the online type of stuff. In, in any event, I just, when I, when I saw that, that there were continuing Popeye, and that was never one of my favorite comic strips, but I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to see that at least some comic strips are still alive and well. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza, delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. They really are good. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. One of our callers, in the complete and total discretion of my producer, Charlie, I have nothing to do with this, will win our Palermo's prize package for the week, which is a coupons for a couple Palermo's pizzas and some pizza cutters, a, a pizza cutter, freezer bags, post-it cubes, all sorts of stuff. We really appreciate having them as a sponsor. And I just don't get involved in selecting who that is. It is exclusively in his domain as to who the winner is going to be. All right. So if you're new to this feature, we do this this time uh, every week that I am here and we, we take a break from talking about all the real serious heavy-duty issues that are going on. And Lord knows I know there's enough of them. And we try to go into the, the weekend on a, on a sort of a positive, upbeat note. Lots of times we talk about music. Sometimes we talk about books. Sometimes travel. Sometimes food, restaurants. Sometimes sports. All right. Uh, today, the discussion comes from the world of movies, but not just any sort of movies. The summer season has started. 
I understand that gasoline is stupid expensive, over $5 a gallon. And I understand that that is causing some people to change you know, their, their driving habits. I, I appreciate that. But nevertheless, I think there's still a lot of people, especially after the last two years being pent up and cooped in because of COVID and the pandemic, there's a lot of people who are ready this summer to get out and about, and they're ready to take a road trip. They are ready for a road trip. And with that in mind, I thought for Pop Culture Corner this week, now that we are kind of in what I consider to be the official start of summer, I, for one, wish every month of the year could be June. All right, I want to talk about road trip movies. 855-616-1620. That is the Iconet Mortgage talk and text line. In your opinion, what is the best road trip movie? ever made that one that just kind of well screams the open road you know and, and it's the, the characters they're on the trip um and and maybe it's a drama maybe it's, it's a comedy i've got lots of ideas myself but just you know what the movie is they're off they're on the road and they're out and about looking at america or i guess you could say looking at europe or wherever i don't want to limit it just to america but road trip movies the best. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Charlie is lining up the calls. We're back to hear your calls and look at your texts in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. It is the summer. Road trip movies. That's what we're talking about. There we go. 855-616-1620. The best road trip movie in the spirit of the summer. Let's start with Kevin in Wauwatosa. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Best road trip movie of all time. What do you think? Uh, definitely uh, European Vacation. With, uh, with Chevy Chase, the original. There, Ed, Ed Helms came out with a newer one. and uh, It was pretty funny, but it's pretty raunchy. But definitely the, the original uh, there's just so many good one-liners on that with you know, and then they had uh, special appearances with like Christy Brinkley and um, yeah, it's just it's hilarious. Uh, okay, like, now I got I got to stop you here, Kevin, because there now there's there's several movies in the Vacation series. There's the original one, which is Vacation. You said European Vacation, which is the second one, and then there's like Christmas Vacation, and then there's Vegas Vacation. Do you mean no, European? No, the original. You, you, you no, don't mean European. The European you, one. Right. You don't mean European. No. Right. Good. That's good because I was no. about ready to take you to the woodshed because European <laughs> vacation sucked. Vacation. That was awful. Right. Yeah. Vacation um, with uh, Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase. I, that, to me, that yeah. is still laugh out loud funny. It's one of the greatest movies yeah, of all time. I can watch that anytime. I, yep, I, absolutely. No, thanks for guys. Okay, good. So I'm I'm glad about that because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't. In the spirit of this, I like the people, but a European vacation was so very very disappointing. But you know, Chevy Chase going to Wally World. Oh, who could not like that? And all the different like stuff that happens, and you go, my God, I can't see that. So I'm I'm a huge fan of the vacation series, and actually they kind of turned it around with um, the Christmas Vacation is another great movie, and then it kind of went downhill again with Vegas Vacation. But the original Vacation and uh, just some. Great music. Can't go wrong with that. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Greg in West Dallas. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hi, Greg. Um, I got to agree with regular vacation, yeah. but planes, trains, and automobiles. Not only is it funny, it's also just heartwarming. 
Yeah, it's um, you know, with with the late John yeah, Candy and Steve Martin. Yeah, it's um, you know, I used to. Absolutely. I it, it was always kind of painful sometimes for me to watch simply because. Some of the things I used to do for like a living, I'd end up traveling, and I could kind of relate to that planes, trains, and automobiles thing, where it's like, okay, the rental car is broken <laughs> down, uh, the the train is like that, but there are just there's also so many good lines. Uh, John Candy is perfect, and and again, you're right, it's funny, but it's also poignant as well. It, it's it, at the end, if if you don't have a tear in your eye, you're just there's something wrong with you at the end of that movie. Yeah, thanks for the call. Yeah, the I know, no, part is. Yeah, thanks for going. No, you can't. You cannot go wrong with that. Of course, the great line is, you know, how about them bears? Or there's many great lines, but that's the the one. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of those movies that you, you need to watch it uncut. If you have, and there's some movies like this. If you have only seen them, like on on broadcast television or something where they have been edited and they take out the bad words and stuff, you 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 miss some of the really genuinely funny scenes i mean it's it's an r-rated movie for a reason but it's uh, the length this is one planes trains and automobiles is one of those movies that the language sometimes adult but really contributes to um how much fun it is 855-616-1620 harry in waukesha harry you're on wtmj yeah yeah jeff thanks for taking my call sure. i think i've got a movie that you'll probably take to heart because it re- re- um and involves Coors beer, and that would be Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> you know, I rem- I was in college when that movie came out, and it is impossible, Harry, to describe how big that was. There were there were lines at the movie theaters to see. You know, Burt Reynolds was as big uh, a star as there was back then, and you know, Sally Field, and uh, no, it was it was just incredible, Jerry. Um, Jerry um, Allen, right? Who was Jerry Allen? Reed? Jerry Reed, yeah, right. Jerry Reed doing, you know, eastbound and down, and right driving, driving to see if they can get Coors beer brought back to wherever they were. Great movie, great movie. Yeah, I'd love to have that Trans Am today. Yeah, no kidding. Thanks for the call. Actually, you know, there's a, there's a story about that. I was reading this is this is like the useless and important information that I've stuck in my mind. Apparently, the the people that owned the the, the GM, the Pontiac thing, they they promised Burt Reynolds that they would give him a a you know a black Trans Am every every year you know because that's you know the 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 movie just caused uh, things to skyrocket. Well, the the guy that made that promise was out after a year, and then they never gave him any other ones. Now Burt Reynolds could probably afford to buy his own Trans Ams, but yeah, that's a great movie. And by the way, as long as we're talking about Smokey and the Bandit, let us not forget that the. the Let's not forget Jackie Gleason, the great Jackie Gleason, who played uh, Sheriff Buford T. Justice in that movie. Again, useless and important information. Let's talk to Sandy, Sandy in New Berlin. Hi, Sandy. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Nice talking to you. All right. The best road movie of all time. Well, I, I'm a grandma, and my grandchildren would watch Shrek oh. in the back seat over and over and over and over. And we, we love the music; it just gets in, gets under your skin after a while. Oh, well, well, and it you oh, know, and it's and Shrek. it's 
No, I, Sandy, I, I, I agree. I mean, Sandy, you've got the, you know, you've got Shrek the ogre and, you know, Donkey mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, they're on their, they're on their road trip and trying to find Princess Fiona mm-hmm. and stuff. No, it's great. Sandy, you are our winner of our Palermo's Prize pizza package for today. Okay. So I know they've gotten your information, wow. but thanks for listening. Well, enjoy a yeah. couple pizzas. They're pretty darn good. And the pizza cutter. That's just don't, don't hurt your health. Don't hurt yourself <laughs> with it. <laughs> okay. I will. Thanks Thank you, for Jeff. thanks for listening. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Best road trip movie of all time. There's a lot of ones that are still um out there. Let's see. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I'm going with Hell or High Water on this one, which may sound like an unusual choice at yeah. first, but the po- police and the bank robbers are basically on a road trip in this movie, and it does have a really road trip kind of feel. And even though it is mostly a drama, there are some good, funny parts. Um, my favorite of which is is one about about Mister Pid. Right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. It's thanks. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of The Hell in High Water. That it, it it's kind of a little um, a smaller movie, but Jeff Bridges is in it. And uh, I think Chris Pratt is is it Chris Pratt that I think is in it as well. But it, it's 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 a smaller sort of movie. But I enjoy that quite a bit. Okay, let's uh, let's just get to a couple. All right, I, I have I have in front of me uh, a list of some iconic American road trip movies. Let me share them, and then we'll share a couple of our. We're getting swamped as we always are with texts. Easy Rider, nineteen sixty nine, which was kind of like the ultimate road trip movie back in the day peter fonda dennis hopper um national lampoon's vacation of course makes the list rain man you know with with tom cruise and dustin hoffman and they're making the road trip they're going to las vegas um of course the the ultimate quintessential chick flick road trip movie thelma and louise i mean you know who yeah susan saranda gina davis you know brad pitt I mean, and then one of these sort of spectacular kind of of endings, you know, that's that should always be one of the the tests. You know, if you're considering like dating somebody for a guy, ask, you know, your potential date, you know, whether they saw Thelma and Louise and who, if anyone, they relate to Um, on my list. Somebody says sideways, which, of course, won the Oscar. That was the people, you know, on on the road, you know, visiting the different vineyards and things like that. That's always a good one. Eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, twenty. Let's see, Jeff. Uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Right, that goes there. Huh, The Wizard of Oz, first color movie ever. Um, it literally followed the yellow brick road. I would have never thought of that necessarily, but yeah, you're um, right. Jeff, for me, it's easy. It's the movie called Road Trip. Yeah, that was kind of a fun, that was sort of the college uh, kids. Jeff, The Blues Brothers. Never really thought of that as a road trip movie, but I guess it could qualify as well. I would throw in a couple of, of my personal favorites. The the movie Almost Famous, which is, of course, kind of the, the semi-autobiographical thing of Cameron Crowe. But, you know, the, the kid goes on the road with the, the band and all the stuff that happens. As long as we're talking about music road trip things, Willie Nelson and the movie Honeysuckle Rose, which is, you know, another band on the run type of thing. And I, I always like that a lot. Let's talk to... David in Racine. David, you're on WTMJ. Greetings, Jeff. Uh, how about Fandango with Kevin Costner, Robert Downey Jr., four guys going to decide to make a road trip down to Mexico before Robert Downey Jr. has to 
we uh, right. report for uh, to the uh, to serving in the army and some of the unusual things that they have. Right. And finally, right. in Mexico, they hired the stunt pilot, the or the uh, uh, right. flight school uh, instructor kind of offbeat character to actually fly into Houston to get uh, Robert right. Downey Jr.'s fiance, including the flying under the uh, yep. tunnel scene. Fandango, you know, funny, no, it, it is. It's, it's also thanks. For, it's also one of Kevin Costner's first movies. If you want to see a young Kevin Costner, <clears throat> Fandango is the movie to see there. You know, as long as you were talking about military ones, another road trip movie that's kind of, it, it, it's a little bit older. But Jack Nicholson and Randy Quaid. It's called The Last Detail, and you know they uh, Jack Nicholson plays like a like an MP. Um, it's a it's whatever they called him in the Navy. I apologize, uh, but they're they're in the process of taking him to to jail. He's going a wall or whatever and they're taking him to jail but they decide okay we're going to stop in a couple places and we're going to we're going to have some parties before we take him um wild hogs number of people are saying that that's the motorcycle movie clearly that's one that a lot of people like jeff for me duel with uh duel with dennis weaver i think it was steven spielberg's first movie yeah that would be a drama that is out there um RV starring Robert Williams, absolutely one of well, Robin Williams, absolutely one of his funniest films. I have to confess, I don't think I have ever seen that one. Huh? Put that one kind of on the list. Um, Vanishing Point, boy, that's an old one with James Taylor, but that's a road movie. Cannonball Run, yeah, watch the original Cannonball Run because after Smoking and the Bandit, you know, Burt Reynolds took a, a lot of his like regulars and they started making this series of movies cannonball run the first one was definitely the best of the group no question about it but those were those were kind of funny ones a uh, little miss sunshine yeah that's definitely a good one i would also add as long as you're talking about that uh the the one of the the original movie with tatum o'neill and her father ryan o'neill which was um paper moon which did extremely well. Some people mentioning the Muppet movie. Got to think about that. Animal House. Well, Animal House is my favorite movie. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a. I wouldn't describe it as a road trip movie. But you do have that scene or the series of scenes in Animal House where they all announce road trip. So that would be a good one as well. No question about it. Number of people mentioning um, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, that's a good one. For me, if you had to choose one, it would be one of the first ones we mentioned, which is National Lampoon's Vacation. But there's a lot of them out there. And I bring this up just because there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's a lot of depressing stuff going on. You go to the grocery store. You see what you're paying for stuff. You drive past gas stations, drive in. You're absolutely crazy with the prices that probably aren't going to go down anytime soon. So we all need a little bit of reliefs and releases. And to me, you know, good road trip movie kind of takes your mind off your problems for 90 minutes or two hours. So hopefully we've given you a couple ideas. Sorry we couldn't get to all the calls and I couldn't get to all the texts. But we're back next week with another edition of Pop Culture Corner.